When I finished college, my first job in the real world was to work for a maintenance uh, department in a private hospital. I was a very unskilled technician. I worked alongside a plumber and an electrician and a carpenter. They would have tools that were sometimes familiar to me, but oftentimes very unfamiliar to me. You'd have the normal saw or screwdriver or hammer that was familiar, but then there were tools that they would pull out that were often unfamiliar and not so easily handled. And you can probably imagine the steep learning curve that a young Adam was on as he was working with these grown men. And they would often give me tools that were incorrect for the job that we were doing, just to then laugh at me and to put me in a place of ridicule, which I'm sure was a real blessing to them and, and not so much to me. We're now on the third week of our journey through a series that we're calling Eagerly Desire. As a church, we believe that God doesn't only want to set us free from our sins. He wants us to walk in the freedom of relationship with him. And he has tools, gifts, in fact, that he equips his followers with in order to function within that place of freedom and within the context of community. You may be hearing us talk about things like this at the moment, and it sounds super spiritual or perhaps even a bit wacky, but consider the workman's tools that I was just referring to, the carpenter, the plumber, the electrician's tools. In life, there are certain tools or methods that are required for something to be fixed or to function more effectively. The same is true in spiritual matters as in physical ones. During this series, we're exploring the truth that everyday church is equipped with spiritual gifts. Now, I don't know about you, but I long to grow in my understanding of these gifts and my desire to, to walk in it and to, to eagerly desire it and to enjoy the good of it is growing and growing the more I'm studying the word. Not as some kind of spiritual expert, but as just a regular follower of Jesus. I don't claim to be all-wise or all-knowing, absolutely far from it. I'm on a journey like you. I just know that from looking at the Bible, it seems clear to me that the power of the Holy Spirit is made available to ordinary people and the kingdom of God does tangibly move through life when we open the door and welcome him in. Last time we considered that spiritual gifts spring from relationship with Jesus and they bring him honor first and foremost. And a key reason that he gives them is for the building of community. Spiritual gifts stir belief and encouragement in the person and nature of Jesus. Now, we live in a world that seeks to promote position. We, we love to create platforms for people to, to showcase their talents. Spiritual gifts are not meant to elevate anybody or anything else but the person and the kingdom of God. In a few minutes, I'll be talking about what spiritual gifts are. But before that, let me just lay a foundation, particularly for people that might be listening to this, for who Christianity is not a, a faith that you're familiar with or walking with Jesus is not a term that you're used to hearing. Because in order to understand what spiritual gifts are, we need to understand why they are first. Jesus walked, he talked, he ate, he relaxed, he worked with a group of people. And within the context of that setting, he began proclaiming that he was the son of God and began backing up that authority and revealing that glory through wondrous signs. In the Bible, Mark tells us that an evil spirit was commanded out of a man by the very words of Jesus. 
Luke tells us that he instantly provides a miraculous catch of fish for a group of fishermen. Matthew tells us of a blind man restored to sight by the very direction of Jesus. And John tells us how crowds and crowds of people were fed through a miraculous provision of a meal because of Jesus. Jesus calms the winds and the storms during a boat trip. He restores strength to a disabled man's legs. And demonic harassment is lifted at his very word. Time and time and time again, all through the four accounts of the life of Jesus, the power of heaven just doesn't, doesn't just interrupt the normality of life. It alters it completely because of this one man. And so challenged by this and so perturbed by what they were seeing and hearing, these revelations in front of them, the religious leaders of the day ensured that Jesus wasn't just dismissed, but he was murdered. Because of what he was doing, yes, but also because of what he was saying. Jesus declares, I am the bread of life in John 6. John 10, he says, I am the gateway. I only do what I see the Father doing, he said. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He says in John 14 and then a bit later, nobody comes to the Father apart through me. Come to me if you're feeling the burden of life and I will lift it, I will restore your soul, he says in Matthew 11. His actions have power, but his words have power too. And he's crucified because of that. Not overwhelmed or defeated, but as one who willingly surrenders his life, a king who knows that his kingdom is just getting started. Jesus Christ is Lord, and not even death can ensnare him. And on the third day after his crucifixion, Jesus is risen again, walking, talking, relaxing, eating with those group of people that he was with prior to his crucifixion. And before he ascends back to heaven, he tells his followers that his spirit is coming. The Holy Spirit is on the way and it's going to fill them too. And the works and the wonders and the words that Jesus has been speaking and demonstrating will continue. Friends, Jesus has won a victory over the darkness of sin and the permanence of death. But there is still an enemy in my life and in your life, the devil who hasn't accepted his defeat yet. And your enemy isn't all-knowing and isn't all-powerful like God, but his intentions are evil and he seeks to still ensnare us. I'm so grateful that there is a God who is all-knowing and who is all-powerful, whose intentions in my life are good and wants to bring me to places of freedom and hope, not just bringing it to my life, but then bringing it through my life as well. You know, we live in a world where there's such clear evidence of good and bad, light and dark. I think we can probably all agree with that. There's a physical world often seen. And there is a supernatural world often unseen. And just as conflict rages within physical settings in this world, there is a battle, there's a fight taking place for the hearts and affections of every man, woman and child. And when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we're invited to contest from the place of victory and not defeat. Do you know the devil loves to keep us focusing on the stuff that we can see and touch in front of us. But your spiritual life is built on some stuff that you can't necessarily always see. And healing can take place in areas of your life that are not always easily visible. The Holy Spirit is capable and willing 
to access hidden aspects of who you are, past, present, and future, to bring a deep, deep transformation to work. You know, following Jesus is not all about hoping to arrive at heaven in some future time, but it's about realizing that the wonders of heaven, the glory of it, that it's on display here and now. God equips his people with the means by which to walk in the light of that victory. Friends, the invitation to salvation from Jesus is the foundation for understanding and receiving spiritual gifts. It's not some advanced form of Christianity. It's the basics of faith in Jesus. Forgiveness of sin, yes. Equipping with the tools for a new way of living and viewing our surroundings, yes. Now, as a church, we, we don't just want to look to heaven for later. We eagerly desire heaven to come here and now, even where you're sat right now. When the Spirit of God fills you, your actions are given power and your words are given power too. Spiritual gifts give us a foretaste. They reveal in part on earth what will be displayed in full technicolor in heaven because his kingdom has come and his will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. That's why spiritual gifts are made available. But what are they? Well, let me answer it with a clear statement. A spiritual gift is a word or activity that is enabled by the Holy Spirit, used to strengthen faith and to equip the church until Christ returns. Let me say that again. A spiritual gift is a word or activity that is enabled by the Holy Spirit, used to strengthen faith and equip the church until Christ returns. Many theologians would agree that there are three quite distinct references or lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. They're referenced elsewhere, but they're not listed in the way that we find them in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4. Now, there'll be a grid in front of you now that I, I just encourage you to take a screenshot of this or take a photo on your phone. It's a useful grid to maintain in front of you as you're exploring spiritual gifts. It may be that God utilizes other behaviors or characteristics or opportunities, but our main aim is to be occupied by the things that are listed, to eagerly desire what we are given, rather than to speculate on what is not mentioned. I have three children, and they have each recently had a birthday. In our, so in our house, it's like birthday, birthday, birthday. So my house at the moment has three piles of birthday gifts unique to the different children. You might find it helpful to remember that spiritual gifts can sometimes be gathered in three general groupings. Revelatory, miraculous, and practical. Now I want to recognize that a gift that is revelatory in nature can result in something miraculous taking place. A gift that is practical in nature can point to the revelation of God's character and his goodness, for example. So there's much overlap uh, and harmony between these different spiritual gifts. But it's important to know that within each of these little groupings, they are all good. There's not ones that are more spiritual than the other. There's not ones that are better than the others. They all help facilitate what the Father is doing and work in harmony with one another. They're not primarily human activity, but rather divine activity done through humanity as his vessel. Let me highlight this with a few examples. So 
The Holy Spirit gives the gift of discernment or the gift of knowledge to enable certain Christians to clearly recognize and distinguish between the influence of God or the devil in a particular situation. The church needs those with this gift to speak to people, especially during times of pain or challenge, or to keep others from being led astray from false teaching, or to help provide understanding to what God is enabling through a particular situation. All Christians are called to share the good news of Jesus with the people around them, but some are given an extra measure of faith and effectiveness in this area. So someone with the gift of evangelism, for example, might be more able to overcome the normal fear of rejection and engage in meaningful conversations about Jesus with a greater boldness and a, a greater clarity. With the gift of administration, for example, the Holy Spirit enables certain Christians to organize and direct plans that lead others in various ministries of the church. This gift can be closely related to the gift of leadership as well, but perhaps is a little bit more task or goal orientated. Some people are just so wonderfully wired in that way. We're all called to pray, but sometimes somebody with the gift of faith or the gift of healing prays all the more courageously. Those who have that gift are noticeably more uh, compassionate towards the sick or more regularly um, hungry to pray over people who are living with infirmity. They have a great faith and hope that God can and will bring miraculous healing and they're not deterred if he chooses not to. We're all called to give and to be generous with our, uh, our time and our money and our talents. But someone with the gift of giving gives all the more generously. There's a joy that rises in them when there's an opportunity to meet a need. There's just a bunch of examples. You can see from the table, there's loads of other options. I don't have time to go into detailed explanation on all the gifts here and now, but over the coming weeks, we're gonna pinpoint a few of them and go into a bit more detail along the way. But an important takeaway from today is that God's hand is working through all of these gifts. And it's important that we value them all and that we thank him for them all. I believe that the more that we eagerly desire spiritual gifts, the more we experience the presence and power of the Holy Spirit as a, as a day-to-day occurrence in our lives. Each gift provokes a measure of faith for God to move and to make his purposes known. Each gift stirs a desire that God might draw more and more to faith in his son Jesus. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 6, there are different kinds of gifts but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in every one, it is the same God at work. In verse 11, he says, all of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. It's from him. It's not a man-made effort, it's from him. The devil loves it when we feel isolated and cut off from community. That's why spiritual gifts used within the context of a local church are so liberating and so powerful. Spiritual gifts that are there to challenge the multiple lies that we can be affected by that the devil wants us to believe in. Lies such as, there is no God. Sin doesn't affect me. 
I can do this walk of faith alone. Or perhaps I'm not valued. I don't have anything to offer. I just need to look after myself. Now these are lies and spiritual gifts contend against that. Paul counters some of these deceptions by saying in, later in, in 1 Corinthians 12, the body is a unit. As church, we need to see ourselves as part of something deeply connected. The body is a unit. Though it's made up of many parts and though all its parts are many, they form one body. He's talking about the church. Paul goes on to refer to the foot playing its part and the ear playing its part, the eyes see, the nose smells, etc., etc. And that even though they're distinct from one another, together the different aspects unite to enable the body to function. Do you know, if you're a Christian and you're hearing this and you've perhaps become over-familiar with th- some of the things that we're talking about, perhaps stopped drawing upon your spiritual gift lately, I need you to hear today what you have been given matters. It matters still. And Paul reminds his friend Timothy, and in 1 Timothy 4, he says to his friend, do not neglect the gifts you've been given. He says in another letter to Timothy, I remind you to rekindle the gift that God has given within you. So like a muscle in a body, it seems possible for Timothy to have allowed his spiritual gift to weaken, I don't know, perhaps through uh, inactivity or, or doubt, I don't know what it was, but Paul reminds him to be provoked to use it again, thereby strengthening it. A couple of days ago, we had a microwave delivered to our house. Now, I've had many microwaves. Did I consult the user manual when I was setting that thing up? Of course not. I I know how this thing works. Well, we can easily apply that same self-assurance to settings that we find ourselves in I have a bit of life experience. I know what's what. I know how this plays out. I've been around a little while. No. God establishes fresh situations and moments in the seeming normality of life because he has some unique insight that he wants to convey to you personally in each and every moment that we find ourselves in. Turning a normal moment into something of deep, faith significance, perhaps for you, but also for the person or the people you're with. If this is new or intriguing to you, I want you to know that asking the Holy Spirit to show you what gifts he wants to give you is fundamental to your connection with God and to his people. God's grace is massive over my life and over your life. And he's prepared to forgive our sins through that wonderful atoning work of Jesus on the cross. That in itself is the most wonderful gift we could ever be given. But he's also prepared to cause blessing to flow through you to affect the faith of other people around you. Theologian Wade Grudem writes, God gives the church an amazing variety of spiritual gifts and they are all tokens of his varied grace. Peter also says in one of his letters in 1 Peter chapter 4, when he's writing to the church, as each has received a gift, employ it for one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I love that term, varied grace. It's wonderful. A healthy church will invite and appreciate a great diversity of gifts. 
And when they're enjoyed more and more, when they're put on display more and more, the results, this results in greater unity within the church and greater impact in our local communities. God's methods employ diversity to create unity. Do you know God, in his amazing wisdom and kindness, doesn't allow one individual to have all the gifts necessary for the church, but requires us all to desire and enjoy spiritual gifts for the proper functioning of the church. Do you know, it's easy and it's tempting to feel passive or shrouded in disbelief on this. That's my testimony. This is something that I battle with from time to time. I know that I have to contend on this or with this. Like I said earlier, I'm not an expert. I'm on a journey. Perhaps you've received teaching in the past that has said that spiritual gifts are not for today. Or perhaps you've been in an environment where they were handled really badly. Perhaps you've never seen the Holy Spirit come and touch an individual and work through them in such a wonderful way. And so you, you just don't have that framework of belief. I want to encourage you today that this is something for the church today. I'm hungry for it. I want you to be too. I know that I can feel easily a sense of embarrassment or a sense of inexperience lurking under the surface of my faith. I want to fit in. I am so prone to making choices that keep me in my comfort zone. But God's plan for his people, his church, is not just to set her apart and then put her on a shelf in bubble wrap ready for glory one day, but to give me and you new sets of lenses with which we see the circumstances around us, with which we see the people around us, with which we view our past with, and he wants to step in here and now. The way we consider the gifts that God makes available to us is a reflection of how we consider God himself. He's merciful. He's wise. He's a good shepherd. He heals. He's discerning. He's encouraging. Is it any wonder that he wouldn't want his people to display those kind of characteristics as well? I don't know about you, but I want more of this. I want to be challenged by this. I want you to be challenged by this. And as leaders of Everyday Church, we want the pursuit of and the practice of spiritual gifts to be fundamental aspects to our discipleship of Jesus. We believe that God is developing a culture within this church where it's okay to not be an expert. It's okay to take baby steps in our faith. It's okay to take risks and for it to not go perfectly well but it's absolutely vital that we eagerly desire this. I wonder, are you eagerly desiring God to do something in your life today? What is it? Speak to him about it. Is it of benefit to the church? It's so important that, that we bring the stuff of our hearts, the stuff of our lives before the Holy Spirit because he knows what to do with it and he can put it to use. Embracing spiritual gifts, learning about them, asking God for them, being active in the way that we're practicing them is where purpose and faith flourish. It's how the church is equipped and built up. And most importantly, above everything, it's an aspect of, oh, it's a way in which the glory of Jesus shines forth. I want to encourage you with, I want to dare you, in fact. There's going to be a prayer coming on the screen now and I want to encourage you to pray this prayer regularly over the coming week or so. 
be stirred to, to just pray a simple prayer like this. This is something that I pray regularly in my normal day-to-day life as a disciple. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, please fill me today. Please help me to go through today in such a way that I can really see those around me with your love and your perspective. Please give me the opportunities to reflect your grace and your goodness in a powerful way today. And please give me the courage to speak and act in those moments. Amen. God bless.